Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin in Kales River, alongside the chapelies of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis, and I'm joined as always to talk through these things by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today, sir, and how do you think the youth is doing? I am, um, oh, you know, engaged. Hello to you, Lindsay, and hello to all those who listen. I was engaging with um, our congregations on Thursday at two services, um, the combination theme of Corpus Christi and Youth Day and how the youth and, you know, could speak to one another. What conversation could they have? And one of the things I did in the liturgy was to invite people from the congregation um, to share memories of what were they doing and where were they on the 16th of June, 76? And in one of the services, there was, it was interesting. Somebody was never born at that stage yet. Another person was six <clears throat> months old. Another was eight years old. Um, and then a whole lot of other people were working. But that in-between group of 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 young of young people, the millennials, you know, they themselves were absent from from the church services. How people celebrated the 16th, or how they remembered it, I I wouldn't know. But um, I think you know, in a way, I probably stood out in the services as the one who was there at 76 as a student, as a as a learner in high school mm. at the time. So I had a kind of an attachment. I was part of the protest march of my school towards Cape Town Parliament. We ran for our lives when we were chased by the police. So all of that kind of thing. Some of our friends were in were caught and incarcerated for a for a time and 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 then of course 76 and then 85 I was also part of protest march and uh, you know, spent some time, um, mm. no, nowhere near the mm. horrible experiences that others have had to live with in their own experiences. Um, and and I wonder, when one thinks about the world, does historical events really capture our imagination as we seemingly journey on to to wherever and to whenever, because because we don't know, uh, we take we taking the strip of life. We just don't know um, what when this is just continue and go on and on forever, um, or 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 how are we meant to be? Because it's just a question we can't answer. So mm -hmm. we take it one day at a time, and yet um, historical history is a very important thing. Um, uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero, whose quote I used um, in this in that service, said, "God and humanity create history." And then he went on to say that when that history, that the history of salvation plays a role in our history when we seek the presence of God. Mm -hmm. If we don't seek the presence of God, then it's only our history. And what's the evidence of our history? 
And so Corpus Christi then could say, so what did the presence of Jesus at the round table mean on the night that he was facing betrayal? Mm. What, what does that mean and how can that be a relevant message for young people today um, who are perhaps more drawn into the technological lifestyle, consumer lifestyle, career-driven lifestyle? Um, not that any of those things are wrong, but um, it does lead people also into faults. Uh, you know, and I listened to somebody saying to me, two young people together earn almost 80,000, but cannot get a loan from the bank because their spending habits mm. is just way out of bounds. What does that tell you? If that's one example of what's going on in um, the new mind uh, of, of, the, of the new century. So I think that we need to encourage our young people not to forget history, not to forget where they come from, not to forget the history connected through ancestors, uh, generations before us, because they have so much to teach us of what we need to prepare ourselves for as we go in. Not everything is going to be the same, but at least there's lessons in it for us to empower ourselves with mm. in order to be able to know we may be a little bit prepared for what could be coming. Um, so I would I then then you look at news clips and you look at at township experiences and suddenly there the history is very much alive and well in suburbia it's not so why the two worlds that are different um, in one country we celebrate one public event that has happened that's brought changes. Um, to our society as to why we are supposedly better off now. But only in the townships do do this, do the you hear that voice. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I had a weird uh, day this year because I was reflecting on what Youth Day has become, what the symbolisms the lasting symbols has been and what people have decided to make it about now. And like I wasn't, I was I was alive within my mother because all women are born with all the embryos they will ever produce in their lives. So <laughs> you were always with your mother, even before you, long before you were born. Uh, but I was not a twinkle in the eye yet, I think, like in, in Pretoria for like just about a year. So they were kind of near to the hot spots um, of, of that kind of conflict. And now you look at people and you ask them what you say, what, the, what June 16, 1976 means, like what they were fighting for. And it always ends on language, depending on who you're speaking to. Um, mostly people of color will say that they were protesting the fact that they were forced to um, learn Afrikaans in schools. And it's like, uh, it wasn't really about that. <laughs> there was a lot more going on with, like, the more nefarious things happening with, with the education system at the time um, and the the more enlightened amongst the, the freedom fighters were well aware of that. And, had, yeah, they, they were just done with, with, with being controlled in that kind of way, which, which, which is interesting. But now you fast forward to 2022 and the discourse is... Absolutely. Uh, the theme that you have extracted is 
all about diversity. Um, race, class, or gender divides us. Is there, in, is there the unity of God's love? Uh, and I, I think it's important in this kind of context to talk about diversity because what the diversity discourse has become now is that every individual has a right to not to to representation. And it's like, yes, but in certain contexts, um, it's not like you can't just think about the individual all the time. You have to think of the collective. And and I think there's a lot of that being actively kind of shadow banned um, and 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 suppressed. A lot of that important conversation is being suppressed uh, with a lot of the biggest voices just talking about individual freedoms and rights and and sensitivities towards the individual, uh, which, which, which is becoming a little bit. I know I sound a bit. <laughs> Uh, controversial as always on this, but it, it's really been on my mind a lot, uh, especially with with like silly things like, well, it's not silly for the people affected and it's really not silly in terms of respecting others, uh, but this whole debate around like pronouns of using, like using <laughs> pronouns for people and it's like, it's second nature. It, it really is more grammatically correct when you're referring to somebody, like if we were talking about somebody to refer to them as they and to refer to like a general kind of pronoun and not a, a gendered pronoun. Um, and that just makes grammatical sense. But when you are referring directly to somebody, it gets very, very clumsy. And that's the sub-editor in me talking now. <laughs> and just in terms of delivering information, me as a journalist, as a media worker, delivering clear, accurate information to a group of people about one person who I'm quoting directly. It gets a bit messy when you have to deal with that individual's like sensitivities, you know? Well, um, I, I want to take you to um, to the word Youth Day. Mm. That's what how the June 16th have, has, has been coined now, uh, 27 odd years later. Yeah. The assumption is we're speaking to all people in a particular phase of their life. Mm. And if we just sort of mathematically take it down, it comes to age groups. Mm -hmm. And the assumption is that in that phases, um, they all experiencing certain things uh, that are similar to each other in terms of their human nature. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time you do that, you then realize the distinction. Now, I'm being deliberate now. The diversity for me is something different. The distinctions now come. Because when you think of class, you think of economic uh, differences, uh, you think of um, educational differences, and uh, uh, different standing in, in, the, in the country of your birth. So, so now, you, now, the, now the scales are weighed on a different uh, level. There's no, there's no balance. Uh, though when we started out saying Youth Day, uh, did we create did we create a unity that mm. would bring together mm. diversity that there is? Then you go to race because now we are based around race racial lines whether we like it or not. Yeah. In that 
you speak of a person's race in terms of their color, their accent, and their looks. Um, and and so so we're always looking at that which which makes us different that we cannot really then um, begin to say. So when you talk of Youth Day, what do you, who do you actually, who are you actually talking about? Um, and then you talk about the historical event, which one hoped would have brought some kind of unity uh, as a collective in South Africa. Did this happen in our nation? Yes, it did. Why did it happen? Um, is it still happening? Um, are we still divided along these lines where unless you passed English and Afrikaans, you're going to find it very difficult to enter university because we're, that it's treated as something different and therefore mm. something that one wants power over the other. And so there's a, there's a, there's a level of, the, of, of oppression that's going to come out in some way or the other. Yet we spoke about Youth Day. Who are we talking about? Yeah. And so what, yeah. so my question, and then of course, along gender issues, gender doesn't just come along, I'm boy, you girl. It comes along the issues between the genders. There, uh, there is a, a sense in which we're so masculinely inclined that um, women are objectified, uh, mm -hmm. even in the youth category of life. Uh, women are seen as weaker. Um, women become the targets, uh, even in that, uh, what's the name, um, of being victims of abuse um, uh, sexually and otherwise. So now, when we talk about youth as a collective, hmm. what are we really talking about? And when youth day is supposed to be a combining fact that gathers us all together, which we're excited about, um, we're not, we're not gathering because we just don't have an attachment to it. Uh, it doesn't draw us and saying that day um, celebrates me with others in my group because you're right, we are so, um, we are so eye-centered, we become so eye-centered. Now, this is the second point I wanted to make. My first point was very long. As you were talking about this, is it a westernized idea? I don't know, but I'm just thinking about gleaning from some of the things I still remember having studied. Um, the Old Testament, sorry, the, 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 yeah, the Old Testament, um, and therefore the Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew uh, context was never to see oneself outside of being a Jew, a mm. covenant person. And so when a little child sat on the knee of their parents who was teaching them the tenets of the faith. And you can go and read this up in Deuteronomy 6, where the parent would say to the child, this is what you have to pray. This is what you have to remind yourself about who you are, your identity, um, and your identity in relation to God and to others. Hear, mm. uh, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Now, who was he speaking to? Hear, O Israel. Who is Israel? He is Israel. Mm. In other words, he's Israel. He's part of a collective. He sees himself as part of a community. Um, and so what happens 
when the Greeks come in and they start doing mind mind bomalakisis and language bomalakisis with the world, we now dissect the soul from the body. We now dissect the heart from the spirit. We now dissect the inner parts of humanity. So um, when you're speaking to me, um, are you speaking to me as a collective, as a, as a, as a, as a, a you know, I'm, 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 my heart, my, my, my soul, my, my mind are all connected to one another. They all interact with one another. But the Greeks dissected us from the inside. The Westernized culture has taken that to the next level, where um, eye-centeredness, um, you know, people say the, the word ego is wrong, but ego simply means you as an individual. But then mm-hmm. you're egotistical, egocentric. Then that changes the whole ballgame. So I think part of the biggest problem that really happened, and I, I put those things together, what happened at the Tower of Babel and what happened on the day of Pentecost, where language is featured in both texts, both mm-hmm. stories. And what does that have for us? The language of youth day in terms of historicity no longer speaks to the to a lot of the current uh, young people it is not youth day for them they're not gathered as a collective around an event or as a phase of their life that they need to learn how to celebrate together mm. like if you do father's day tomorrow that's just the other thing we must bring up and happy father's day when it comes so when it father's day we 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 were talking about this the other day, and, and I had in a little poem I'd written that you probably would have picked up in the in the liturgy, focused on fathers. And somebody said in the worship planning, shouldn't you also um, cater for those who are not biologically fathers, but mm. they they the father figures. And I thought that was that was a good combination. So she wasn't just looking at an individual father. She was looking at a collective. We're bringing all the fathers together and we're speaking to all the fathers and we're celebrating all the fathers. Mm. So I think that, that when we look at the, the, the youth day, what youth identifies with that day? And is it because they've learned to themselves and individuals that can say, well, that means nothing to me, uh, even though it's part of my country's history or part of, you know, my grandfather may have been part of the oppressors, but I want to forget that he was. Or my, mm. my grandfather was somebody who was an, oppre- an oppressed victim, and he's still suffering as a result of it, traumatized by what happened. But let's forget about that pain, it's old. So, so I don't know whether we are approaching these things with a collective mindset as Israel would have done because they were taught to understand themselves in community with God and each other. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel you on, on that point where um, it's, why it's so frustrating is that we've, we've lost the idea of patriotism. We've lost the idea of actual community because the dominant media of our time, which is social media, encourages the input of the individual. Um, 
they are I, I hardly identify as youth <laughs> anymore. Uh, and and it's one of those where it's it's the mindset difference where I'm entering situations to try and add value to the collective experience, um, whereas others are wanting to extract value for their individual gain. Uh, and that lies at the heart of a lot of the conflict that I've had, have been feeling um, with my relation to a lot of these moments, you know, you know, supposed to be our shared moments of, of, of our patriotic culture. Uh, like these are actual things that happened. These were a collective who pulled together and fought against the system. Um, they weren't trying to take individual praise. We own, <laughs> this is the funny thing, we own the person we know, the person we venerate when it comes to Youth Day, wasn't even really at the front lines. It just happened mm. to be the person, the first person who was documented who got shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the Peterson, yes. It's like yes. just a a random victim and an amazing picture. Uh, and I've had the pleasure of, of speaking to uh, Peter Mag Magubani about that in my career already. And, and uh, just his bravery on, on that day, uh, just, just to shout out to the, the journalist <laughs> capturing history out there. Uh, but again, it's like we lose the significance of it when we try and make these kind of build these idols um, out of, of what was a, a collective effort by, by a united you. And I think, you know, um, what are we, what are we going to find that speaks to the desire of every human being to belong? Because our identity cries out for belonging. Mm. Um, and so some can no longer identify with family because for one or other reason they've been ostracized. Mm. <clears throat> You know, and, and what I found, there's three things that happened this week, which made me realize how, I, how, how, how identifying with joining up with something that unites is just so important. A nine-month nine baby that I baptized last year, last week, last year for emergency purpose, Zilla, she had to go into hospital again because a condition she was born with um, water on her brains. And so the effect of that, um, you know, would cause her to be in and out of hospital, given the medical and biological understanding of the illness. Mm. condition. So she went in. The family informed me. And what, what gathered us was her condition. And for us to be gathered as those who will pray with her and for her. Mm. Um, what was so dynamic today was her granny walked up to me from where she was seated before one of the funeral services started and came across to me to come and tell me that the operation was successful and that she is doing very, very well after the 48 hours uh, of, of, you know, of 
tents waiting for mm-hmm. improvement and recovery. And there's this huge smile on her face. We were, we, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were united around that baby's condition, her health, in an act of prayer, with the rites of laying on of hands and the blessing of holy oil. And when you, so, so when that sort of ends and you leave that experience of belonging, of unity gathered around one idea, one event, there's an empowering feeling. In the funerals, for example, today, part of celebrating Benny Cancross's life was that he was a Chelsea supporter. So his family and others who were connected close by all wore Chelsea um, football tops with mm. masks that had Chelsea on it. There was that kind of connection, um, a celebration. Um, and and, and w- whether Chelsea loses or not, this was an ardent fan that found unity with others in, the, in this team. I don't know. I, I, for me, it's mind-boggling because right at the end, we were all gathered uh, listening to New Zealand's anthem because he was also an ardent fan of of okay. what's his name. <laughs> so now you say, what is it that draws people towards a sense of belonging? In the second mm-hmm. funeral we had, one of the stories that came out was a church story. Um, the lady, Auntie Gloria, was one of the stalwarts of the church for many, many years with her husband, Uncle Dan, funds for the church. And you know, the one story that was, in, was impressive about it, they realized that on Sunday, there's not going to be any wine for communion. They didn't have money. So now Uncle Dan called the people together, offered to show a movie, and from that money, the church could buy its communion wine. And and what impressed me about the story wasn't the fact that money, uh, I, I said, I actually said this, I said, what's so important about that story was it's not the money. The church's wealth doesn't lay in money. It lays in the people. And one person gathered for one event to assist the church, and he brought others together. So these three stories give me kind of a, a sense of um, where, what's my sense of belonging? Because my heart mm. cries out for belonging. Wherein do I find um, uh, uh, my, 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 my sense of belonging satisfied? Here, we deal with words like race, class, gender. We dissected that whilst we say youth in terms of age and life experience, life phases, there's not not necessarily a unity in mindset and understanding of shared experiences and shared focuses and and Mm -hmm. shared uh, commemorations. Um, And possibly, if you don't have any of those, do you have a shared future? Because individually, if you're part of a particular class, the information is you've got to be the, the executive of the firm. That's your goal. Yeah. Um, but to do, to do that, you're going to maybe have to trample on your peers. You're going to have to reject people. You're going to have to oppress people. How does that mm-hmm. thing, you know, give people a sense of belonging? And then... You have the whole thing about the gender divide. 
because boys will be boys, as they say. And so how are they formed and raised and what mentality? Where's the sense of responsibility and all of mm. that? Is it? Why on the other side of that line in the, in the theme do we see unity and God's love? Does that really make a difference? Are we all from different faiths, races, classes, gender? Are we open to the idea? And this is where I put it to you. That a God who loved this world, designed this world, <laughs> but gave it free choice. Um, so there's, 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 there's a couple of things there. So this... I, I fully agree with you with with the 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 negatives that come alongside this this culture of I, uh, which 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 I will I will call it, where diversity that we understand right now, the way we understand it right now, the way it's presented in in the zeitgeist in the culture, is everybody having representation, where. If you take it to a human level, you strip away all the cultural stuff, you strip away, like you're only left with a difference in where on this planet you came into being, where you were born in, on this planet. So if you're in a warmer climate, obviously your culture will be built around different kind of practices that appeal to the climate that you are in. Whereas if you're in a cold climate, it's it's a different kind of that's just to survive, right? And then you left with the color of your skin. And on a human level, on a base animal level, we are all the same. We are all driven by the same motivations. We are all, you know, we all want to eat and have a mate and reproduce that's kind of what it is like modern world yes there's an overabundance of people and food and stuff so those motivations kind of change because of the climate that we are in in terms of the social climate so fewer people want to have to reproduce because there are enough people and we are doing terrible things to this to this world um, and then there's this um, there's this amazing moment that we have where we can have excess energy to spend on mental thought, you know, like really contemplate our existence and therefore also contemplate our differences and therefore want to celebrate our differences within it. But then you look at the other side of the equation. So the people actually feeding you with the things that you need to survive, the people the organizations, the companies, the, the corporations that feed you information, that want to extract money out of you, that sell you products. They take white diversity and they say, okay, cool. These people are actually just segmenting themselves into easily addressable markets. Um, so we can just focus our, our marketing uh, energies on those, mark those, those segments that they have split themselves into. And then it's like, where is the power? Is the power in everybody accepting that everybody else is the same as them and trying to pull together and make a better world for the collective? 
or does the power lie with the corporations that are taking advantage of the little camps that we're putting ourselves into? And this is a tenuous link, uh, but the, the reading, which is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 15, is Elijah and Jezebel. So Jezebel, King Ahab tells Jezebel about all the things that Elijah did, and Jezebel is like, yo, I'm going to kill you. And then Elijah flees with his servant to Beersheba in Judah. Um, and then he stops eventually, and he sits down in the shade of a tree and wished he would die. It's too much, Lord, he prayed. Take away my life. I might as well be dead. So you get this, this plague of suicide that is infecting humanity at the moment because we now have all this time to separate ourselves, to make ourselves individuals, to then also sit back and think about, to contemplate our existence and to really absorb and bathe in all of our flaws and shames and things and lose sight of the fact that everybody on this planet is the same. Everybody goes through this. So where is the benefit of this culture of I? Yeah, um, I suppose uh, the only thing people will, would be able to point to if your formation has been about I mm. is I accumulate. Mm. My identification is in the things that are physically inclined. When you look for depth uh, uh, in the person's um, world view, in their view of that very point you made, looking at somebody of a different racial group, of a different class group, of a different gender group, of a different ethnic group, of a different faith group, that you would then see difference and therefore somebody at whom you are in competition with. Mm. And so the result mm. of that is wars on every kind of level, uh, not necessarily um, um, killing the person, but a war that isolates, a war mm. that uh, alienates, a war that neglects, a war that rejects because you've built into mm -hmm. your resume certain conditions that would would make that person impossible to get any anywhere closer to you. And some people buy into your that kind of an I philosophy because you may have built up and accumulated enough power in money or influence that uh, people would see as the means of power. Now, this prophet who who ends up in a state or, or, or finds himself in a state of of depression to such a level that he wishes death as the only means to help him get out of this situation was once a very powerful uh, because he had killed the prophets of Baal, according mm. to the story, 450 of them. Um, I mean, all the power that he would have experienced in all of that why is it that he had to go through this experience? Because you see, that power is not his. That power that he that he was caught up with was not his. And that was not the kind of power God wanted to extenuate to, to the world, in my view. But there was deep conflict there. And 
I think this is why I appreciate the scriptures telling us as much as it could about these conflicts. And although one would find it in why would he kill the people whose faiths was different? What made, what moved uh, that to happen? Was it mm. God intent? Mm. Um, because they, there was a battle of the gods there, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and why I'm fascinated by this story too, it's this lame King Ahab who gets a woman to do his dirty work and she rises to the occasion and, and sadly, you know, people who've read the Bible are influenced by that. So, you, you know, women are sometimes called a Jezebel. Yes. Uh, which is wrong, which is wrong uh, in, in, in word of that. So I, I wonder whether this journey through depression with a deep sense of suicide, um, the idea of suicide, I learned in an interesting English word the other day, um, ideation of suicide. Mm. The idea of suicide, mm. um, that he would ask, he wasn't going to take his own life, but he was going to ask God to take it for him. Now, I want to, 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 um, to, to give this text uh, a twofold, um, a twofold uh, theme. It was, it was both a rediscovery of God and God's presence for the prophet in the world where a, there's a Jezebel and where blood is flown mm. of people mm. whose faith were different. So rediscovery, who is this God who speaks only in the still small voice at this time? And then it's the, 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 the rediscovery of the prophetic presence and the prophetic ministry. Because inevitably, when the individual goes into this kind of contemplative struggle with himself or herself and comes through it in rediscovery, what happens? They are sent back to where the struggle is, where the struggle needs them, where the voice of the marginalized, um, which is a collective voice mm. that needs that needs uh, um, a presence to speak on their behalf. Mm. Uh, all of us share this experience. There are moments in our lives when you just don't know what's wrong. Mm. I'm not saying all of us will come to the point, I think it's better to die than not to die. But these thoughts do come into our brains, into our minds. Um, and that place of contemplation is a very important place, a growth experience. Mm. And I think Elijah had to learn the prophetic ministry, the power that God gave him to that ministry is not his. It's not meant for an individual to have so much power that he has the power, holds the power of death in his hand. Go, go right through all of the stories around him from here. Elijah never kills again. Mm. <clears throat> now, I hope that one of the things that this text uh, helps us to wrestle with is, even though people's faith is different to ours, 
in the one sense with Baal, the prophets of Baal. We should not be breathing death over them. Mm. Prophetic ministry, I think, it's about trying to bring new life to a context in which there is death. So for me, um, can we coexist? Because whether we like it or not, there are other faiths, some of which are older than Christianity. And we need to ask ourselves just how are we meant to coexist and to see what actually connects us, even mm -hmm. though the principles of our faith or the, or the central principle of our faith would be different. Leave up the matter of the final judgment to God um, as we would understand him in our different faiths. Mm -hmm. That's my, my view. The second thing this text does is on the political level, the power that is, that is in presidents and politicians. I think it needs to teach us, um, you know, if you, if you have narcissism amongst you, and I, I'm finding it very fascinating that narcissism always seems to rise to the top. We are fascinated by narcissists. And they, they inevitably get up into to leadership positions they never. I think Jezebel was a narcissist. She had narcissistic behavior, although I think that it's probably more deeply displayed in, in males than in females. Um, why are our leaderships that we have, do we always end up with someone who's got narcissistic inclinations and we choose them amongst us? to lead us. Uh, because if someone <laughs> believes that they are the second coming or the first coming in terms of my <laughs> my personal belief system, um, then they're going to believe it. If you're going to build someone up as a messiah just because they were brave enough or charming enough or you know, they just stood out. They separated themselves from the crowd and took a leadership position. So, like, there's, there's, there's two things. There's a bit of a contradiction here with, with, with me speaking about the loss or at least the rise in this culture of I and how it's actually to detriment of, of the collective experience. Um, but you inevitably have people who just shine a little bit brighter, appeal to more people, um, speak a little bit louder, sing a little bit better, are more charming, are outwardly more attractive. And they tend to make it because everybody likes to look at a beautiful person or listen to a charming person or, you know, um, listen to a good auditor. Uh, and now that everything is becoming a popularity contest as well, it's kind of seeping into this idea that everybody can be that way, which is in what the contradiction lies, where, yes, you can be. So, like, for me, the, 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 the diversity is more about bringing your own creativity and abilities and talents, uniqueness, to benefit the group, and not this idea that a message must be shaped to appeal to you specifically, um, because that's that 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 doesn't that doesn't help a lot, and it's it's rooted for me 
in this concept of like in in the letter to Galatians chapter three verse twenty three to twenty nine, but before the time for faith came, the law kept us all locked up as prisoners until this coming faith should be revealed. And so the law was in charge of us until Christ came, in order that we might be put right with God through faith. Now that the time for faith is here, the law is no longer in charge of us. It is through the faith that all of you are God's children in union with Jesus Christ, with Christ Jesus. You are baptized into union with Christ, and now you are clothed, so to speak, with the life of Christ himself. So that is an unhelpful view of the world, because that just separates, further separates, segments a collective into, no, because you are baptized into Christ, you are now in union, and like elevating this idea of life above something else. So it introduces this idea that some people are better than others, but then goes in to say, so there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Um, you are all one in union with Christ, but you have to make that personal decision to be in union with Christ. So it's like, why does Christianity, spread this idea that there is specialness attached to being in union of Christ, being a Christian, following Jesus's teachings. So, so the same guy who wrote this letter to the Galatians mm -hmm. was the same guy who found Jesus um, and the way that uh, those that believed in him and proclaimed him uh, found uh, that he could not agree with this way and that it was bringing dissension on the way he thought. And so we find the Damascus Road experience and that same man is turned around and his sense of where humanity will find itself again is in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, baptism is a commitment into that community that seeks to live in that way. But by no means are we to judge those who choose not to be part of that way, who find it difficult to, to, uh, to come there. What, what this message it does for me is to encourage those who have come to that understanding, have found that in Christ there's unity and therefore it uh, brings us all together. However, people are genuinely going to find difference even in that. So, for example, baptism has so for many years been an issue between mainline churches who baptize children mm -hmm. and those who claim that scripture tells us they can only be a thing called adult or believer's baptism. So um, a Baptist a pastor wrote one day about um, this and uh, his understanding was baptism is a secondary issue to justice. And of course, just, justice is all about what Jesus proclaimed in the message of the kingdom. Um, and, and, and what is the message of justice, but isn't, isn't it a message of unity? Um, that we all ought to strive towards uh, fairness and all of that within the
the the the the um, within the world. And I, so, I, I, I I'd actually say it's more equality than unity because justice is just sure practice okay. for everybody. So it's equality. I'm, I'm not going to disagree. I'm not <laughs> going to disagree with your eloquence uh, expressed there. <laughs> but um, but then you see. Um, we fight now about baptism. Mm. Then we, we're reading from the same text. If this verse 20 says no difference between and states Jew and Gentiles, uh, slaves, free mm. men and women, does that mean the list is complete? Or is there, there or isn't he talking about the sense of as many categories of opposites as you can find, adult and children, mm. youth and so on. You know what I mean? Uh, black and white, because that's what we during apartheid used to read in this text. This is one of the texts we 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 we, we referred to when we spoke of the justice issues yeah. in South Africa, uh, because <clears throat> there was emphasis laid on the differences of race, and in the differences of race, one is more superior than others. Mm because of the lightness of your skin or the shape of your nose however they did they interpreted all of that so 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 this is my question is jesus a divisive force in the world is jesus a unifying uh, um definition for the world Hmm. Does our hope lie in Jesus? If we're preaching Jesus of the gospel rather than the ones we, the one we make up to suit our own, um, our own way of control, because that's another way we preach Jesus. We preach Jesus um, as a power base for us. Yet we're preaching of a weak Jesus who went to the cross to die. It's mm. in him that we find unity. He dared on the night of, of betrayal, as we say, to hand the same piece from the same loaf, a piece of bread to the one who made the decision to betray him. Was that as a judgment on the man? Was that saying, I want you still to be part of me as I want to be part of you and want you to be part of us? Was that receiving of what we understand now to be the sacrament, a way in which it was saying to all of us, because who of us around the communion table are not betrayers and deniers and those who flee? We all are guilty of that if one has to apportion guilt. Because what Jesus dead and who Jesus are, frightens us because of its definition in the course of history. It's defining mm -hmm. reality in the course of history in, my, in terms of um, my understanding and my faith. So, mm -hmm. so looking deeply at those kind of stuff, I would still say that for me, Jesus of the Bible doesn't tell me to be in opposition to somebody who's racist different, whose culture is different, whose who's, who's, um, gender is different. Because the 
gospel says he goes to a place where pigs were the were the um the economy mm. <clears throat> and he goes to set free somebody there academy who's life is totally messed up whose mm. humanity is so deserted that he finds his existence amongst graves mm. and I, i was just listening this morning to a lady who's, who's doing community work and she says i go into somehow homes in 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 some um township communities where the humanity of the people because of poverty has so stripped them of the humanity that the existence is even worse than animals being looked after they live in a shell so so you know it's a complexity of stuff here that we have to wade our way through and say for all of us race class gender we in will be find unity and we can't even find it in our common humanity because we want to now suddenly classify humanity Mm. in class race and gender pronouns as you call it early on and then in faith groups uh you know which gives us a broken sense of belonging um i stand humbled by the fact that even though the imam's faith was different to mine in terms of our doc- doctrines and so on that the class the class that went on the journey to wherever both of us were called in to pray for safety and protection and the enjoyment of that that were the themes we were given to pray about mm. he prayed in his islamic language and interpreted it for for the for, for us i could not fault him on what he had interceded in the way he interceded if his translation of the arabic mm. uh, was 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 you know on par with where we were in english the only difference in our prayer in my view was when i said at the end of the prayer which is my doctrine my understanding i ask us in the name of jesus mm. and he didn't come up to me and say why did you pray in the name of jesus on the same levels we were standing that prayer was was the, the prayers from its different um uh, podiums if one could mm. just mm. make that kind of thing, was focused there was a unity in it and 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 there was space enough for me to pray in a context where his understanding of god was shared with me and my understanding of god was shared with him and mm. none of us were mm. way fighting about Uh, you're wrong, wrong to have said it like that uh, uh, uh. so so my question would be um does my faith my union in Christ Jesus make me now an enemy of those who happen to be different mm. i do have have hostility towards ideas that foster oppression and judgmentalism from the people that embrace christianity and jesus christ as i claim to do because i don't hear a jesus you know remembered my dear brother god rest his soul we would argue many many i mean every time we came together darrell and i were on it when it mm. came to 
Because he was evangelical, that was he claimed. I was in an Anglican church, a mainline church. And Daryl sometimes in his radical form would tell me that God was going to judge the people who worship cows. Mm. One stage I said to Daryl, I have problems with what you're saying now. And I, I want to even say to you, I'm not so sure you and I uh, believe in the same God, but we're reading the same scripture. Why do I read it differently to the way that he read it? What's what's made that difference? We come from the same family. Fathers, fathers and mothers had the same influence over us. Um, why was Daryl that way? And uh, later on, you know, closer to his death, we came to 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 a, a ristigheid between us, mm. where I mm. no long, could no longer fault him on what he was saying because what I what he said for me I could could what's his name was he being transformed was I being transformed <laughs> we both being transformed even though Christian we came from different doctrinal uh, emphases yeah so so again here does union with Christ Jesus make me now an enemy of someone else or did jesus come as john's gospel say for the world whom god love mm. yeah and i think that's a, a good place to kind of sum it up especially in the context of of father's day where my daughter came to me the other day there's a new girl at school She's gay, apparently she has a girlfriend. And there was so much excitement because it's a novel situation. But the only thing I could think of when my daughter is now relaying this information to me is the way she's referring to this person. Where it's like, why is the fact that this person is gay and has a partner at such a young age, the main thing. It's like, why don't we just accept? And, and I really reflected on it in, in the, the brief interaction. It's like, why, why don't we rather celebrate the fact that you met someone new and that this person has, is going to contribute new ideas to the group? And I told her, I was like, I'm not comfortable with the way you are speaking about it. I'm not comfortable of like where the energy and the excitement is being placed, like on the difference instead of that this is another person that can share with the group a different understanding. And yeah, let's 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 not be fixated on on the differences. Let's not turn diversity into this individual thing. Let's not create conflict by trying to segment everybody and please everybody equally instead of just appealing to our shared humanity. Like, I, I, I actually took an issue with, with something you said earlier, or at least it wasn't you that said it, it was you relaying someone else who was saying it. Uh, I don't think there is anything that can strip us of our humanity. And I've had the privilege of being in India, for instance, where they do worship cows um, and the cows <laughs> do roam the streets there, <laughs> which is a wild thing because you'll just have a cow walking in the middle of the road and there's nothing you can do because it's, it's a cow. It's literally a holy cow. 
And the poverty there is absolutely crushing. It is, it's on, an, on a level that I have never seen in my life. And just the sheer number of homeless people and destitute people and like how they will hound you for something. You take a picture of a child dancing for tips at an intersection and you will have an army of children chasing you to get a reward for being the subject of your of your of your image that doesn't happen in south africa <laughs> like we have poor people but mm. our poor people are not that poor <laughs> like they 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 but there's still the fact that they breathe air that they require food water nurturing sure. Sure. communion um communion in terms of like community um uh, that they have people looking out for them uh, to go chase down the tourists to <laughs> decide to take a picture. Um, they 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 need that, and we all need that. We it's it's our shared humanity, and nothing, no situation is strong enough to strip that from us. But we, through our layering on top of our humanity, in terms of our religious beliefs, our cultural beliefs, our assumed whatever, I assume status, all those things, all those externalities that we layer on top of our, of our humanity can actually drive the wedge wider. There's a disfigurement in terms of the lifestyle we see that people are forced into whatever. So maybe the word is not stripped of our humanity, but maybe stripped of uh, a form of dignity that um, we should all be helping one another to to mm. achieve, but mm. but that's where classism now comes in. You see, yeah. I'm better than you, so I'm not going to allow <coughs> myself, bottom to lower myself to assist you because that would just then strip me of whatever mm. dignity mm. I'm striving towards. But isn't that what I think Desmond two to them had? If if I allow your your dignity to to be uh, disfigured and displaced mm. then mine becomes the same if yeah, i'm yeah. Uh, um, enforcing things that that are, are making you feel um like i mean it's going to be strange for me if i go to a place like a Nazareth and then find somebody living uh with no clothes on mm. in um in, among tombs in our um, grave sites now, now, where people are living literally amongst the dead, if one could say that. But yeah. they may not be yeah. uh, uh, naked, nor would they be actually uh, living in that in that regard. So I suppose stripping us of our human dignity, of our dignity, that that's probably a better way to put it. And here Jesus shows, even in a place different to to Galilee, he he goes there. He's present to this place where you know he seeks the one person out that needs his help and mm. uh, tries to help them. Of course, what he does do affects others uh, uh, in to the negativity. And so this is a very controversial text uh, of scripture um, uh, that one has to really work its way through. Mm. Um, but but you are right. I think again, yeah, 
language is both helpful and unhelpful. Mm. We we never going to to say the thing as perhaps uh, would be most helpful to say, and so we end up. Uh, you know, this whole idea, for example, of um, identifying somebody as gay, as if gay means different to humanity. Yeah. You know, we we talk about gay people mm. more than we talk about heterosexual people. Mm-hmm. So being gay puts mm. you now in a different category uh, to general population of humanity. Yeah, and so we just phrase the word like that, without realizing that hold that they are as human as we have are in them as much as it's in us. Yeah, but you see, do we do we grow up with biases? Um, when a baby is born, does a baby doesn't even see colors? So, so babies are not necessarily born with prejudice and biases. Um, so are are we therefore informed? You know, are we are we born objectively, but we are we grow up subjectively, um, and to think again, coming back to the I'm right and you wrong. What I believe is right and what you believe is wrong. If it's different to my belief, mm. um, you know, do we learn subjectivity, subjective um, approach to life? Is that part of our comfort zones and part of our defense mechanisms as the world as the as the world teaches us through family, school, church and society? Now, I just want to come to this whole thing here very interestingly. Um, one of the things I said here, two of the things that I used as um, themes, as, sorry, as as quotes, one being Looking at America right now and looking at what Edward Kennedy said then, what divides us pales in comparison to what unites us. Mm. And this must have been during the civil rights movement and all of that kind of thing in its heyday. Um, Yet America's facing what people have already spoken about, a civil war. So what went wrong? And is it as a result of Mr. Trump or did he just bring up what was already in that subjective mindset of superiority because you're white and the survival of white people and the fear of placement um, or replacement, right? Because that's a new ideology that's coming out now. And then what this Mario Bizzari says, diversity and inclusion, which are the real grounds for creativity, must remain at the center of what no, sorry, it was the other one, Jacqueline Woodson, who said, diversity is about all of us and about us having to figure out how to walk through this world together. Mm. And, you know, those are things that were said in the past, but how do we, how does it help us? Uh, because, you know, what Jesus said was, was, was written in the book many years ago, does it still make a difference for the world today where we do experience things that instead of uniting us, continues to divide us, such as race, class, gender, religion, and all the other things that we have. Mm. Now, the child born with an objective approach to life suddenly becomes subjective. 
Yeah. Is it the sense of vulnerability that we feel when we're growing up in a world where when we go out, we are all fearful of what goes around us? I don't know the paranoia of, you know, that makes up now to have subjective approaches. Now, you don't play with their children. You're only going to play with this children. All of those things. Mm. Mm. Um, so, so then the question is, when the church says there's unity in God's love, does it only say that to the group that sits in church that morning and to its membership in four walls? Or does it say this Jesus that came to proclaim that gospel took a boat from Galilee mm. to a place where pigs was the economy to save a soul there? What does just Jesus mean to us? And he crosses over the boundaries that divide us. Yes. Is he therefore a unifying force of love for the world? Mm. Yeah, and I think I think fathers on, on this, your special Happy Father's Day to all the fathers listening, uh, I, th I think you have an incredibly important role to play in shaping that yeah. idea absolutely and shaping that reality absolutely i think in all all that things that we that that divides fathers could play a very vital role in helping with building of unity mm. yeah and i think that's a good way to to end it um thank you very much for listening thank you very much father rodney for a lovely discussion again uh, we we started with some heavy stuff um my apologies to anyone who i offended um, <laughs> with my 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 loose ideas on on pronouns but yeah that's just the, the way i think and i am allowed to think that way because we are all allowed to think the way that we want to <laughs> thank you very yes. much but, uh, happy father's day to you Lindsay. when it comes into all those listening to us 